episode 223 of the Anarchist News Podcast, a digest and or conversations on anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on anarchistnews.org. What's new this week? The Apocalyptic Disaster in North Evia, from Athens Indie Media, translated by Riot Turtle. Huge fire in Northern Evia, thousands of acres, dozens of villages, countless wildlife, international support, inadequate state response, etc. Exhausted sighs of understanding from Northern California. Quote, the state's strategy did not include extinguishing the fire as no attempt was made to extinguish the fire fronts. The aim was simply to prevent the flames from entering residential areas. Their primary concern was to evacuate the villages so that there would be no loss of life and thus no accompanying political costs, unquote. The comments get into the relevant questions of whether states in general, much less skint ones like Greece, have the capacity to respond. And the fact that infrastructure in almost all places is inadequate to the challenge of what's up with the world these days. The History of the FAGC from OrganizedMagazine.org.uk A retrospective on the 10-year anniversary of the Anarchist Federation of Gran Canaria. Quote, In the past, we, Organized Magazine, already translated a series of articles written by them outlining their ideological approach in what they call neighborhood anarchism. But to celebrate this anniversary, we decided to translate a summary of their history in these 10 years where they went from disrupting speeches by reformist unions during the 15M square occupations to being the single entity in Grand Canaria that has facilitated more houses for people. All of this while enduring police repression and torture, internal conflicts and splits, Twitter censorship, attacks and outrage from established anarchists, and much more, unquote. This is a fairly detailed and good-natured history of failures and successes for the group, obviously written by the ones who are still involved in the group. Quote, The FAGC from the outside gave an image of being powerful, but in reality it had suffered its first split a few months before, and it was immersed in a debate about its nature and objectives. Everything started around the squatting of abandoned land. Even then, you can see in the FAGC two different sectors, one with more inclination with the conventional anarchism, with its typical actions, campaigns of apostasy, recreational activism, etc., and another more from the neighborhood, more focused in reaching the people around them, unquote. Also, this article introduces me to the malapropism, or perhaps just typo, of big tempt anarchism. Makes sense, though. About an attack on a vaccination center from Brussels Indie Media. A fascinating and undercommented communique about a specific attack on a vaccination center, but also on the theme of non-right-wing attacks on such targets and the lack of anarchist attention on our options in this regard. Quote, if I am enthusiastic about the idea of vaccination centers being attacked, it is not because I think that the CIA is taking advantage of this to chip the population or that the COVID virus does not exist nor because I think humanity should disappear and that the virus is a fair attack on the planet's parasites, even if this story makes one laugh. It is because understanding COVID as a logical consequence of our crowded and globalized social organization, I want to fight against this capacity of the techno-industrial world to sacrifice everything to continue to exist. Also because I would like us to accept being sick and even mortal even if it goes without saying that I deplore many of the deaths of the COVID, just as I deplore the deaths sacrificed on the altar of techno-scientific progress, human or non-human animals who serve as guinea pigs, war for the raw materials that this mega machine devours, and without which there is no scientific research, no vaccine, 
unquote. This article and the many significant and timely questions it raises did not get enough attention this week. Perhaps people will be inspired to respond more in the coming days. Seven Theses on the Three-Way Fight from threewayfight.blogspot.com by Devin Zane Shaw. The three-way fight refers to fighting fascism and the state, which I suppose might speak for itself. This is a reworking of the preface to a 2020 book on German communism. It does some defining of terms, which automatically makes it better than many anti-fascist writings, but its identification of anti-fascism as the main thing to focus on next to the state seems simplistic to me for an anarchist, although the question of audience, of course, comes into play here. Especially having just listened to the final straw episode for this week, which had its problems but did tend towards troubling the knee-jerk militantism of so much Antifa rhetoric and activity. It ends with this, quote, When confronted with emerging far-right movements and unlike liberal anti-fascists, militant anti-fascists act sooner so that we don't have to take greater risks later. Anti-fascists must maintain a revolutionary horizon, but at the same time remain focused on the immediate threat of fascist organizing. A world where fascists can openly organize is worse than one where they cannot. Though German fascism and Italian fascism were historically defeated in 1945, it will take a greater effort to defeat fascism once and for all. Part of that work must be done now by a united front of militant anti-fascists. Unquote. Hmm. Hmm. Science Fiction as Protest Art Part 1, Exploring Capitalist Hells. From The Commoner by Javier Sethness. If you think that the common controlling responses of some folks to video games as producing mass shooters, for example, is stupid, but you still think that video games probably have some cultural and psychological effects on players, then this might be a fun read. Quote, In a world facing uncertain, bleak, and even terminal futures, capitalist media companies compete to maximize their market share by exploiting humanity's artistic, political, and erotic fantasies. Simply put, the culture industry cynically sells our symbolic rebellions against oppression and dehumanization back to us. Still, our individual and collective psychosocial reveries can be interpreted, at least in part, as compensatory means of coping with capital's nihilistic, destructive impetus. Seen in this light, such emotional coping mechanisms serve the important ends of mental health and survival. At the same time, writing in The Commoner in December 2020, Thomas Wilson Jardine rightly underscores the risk that the increasing incorporation of critical, anti-authoritarian themes into such media as film and video games may ultimately just prey on our alienation and promote interpassivity. The danger is that audiences will passively consume the recuperation of revolutionary iconoclasm or the abolition of authority, authority figures, and master symbols in ways that merely reproduce what the French situationist Guy Debord famously termed the Society of the Spectacle, unquote. Debord and Benjamin quotations and Indian poetry, what more could you ask for? We'll just ignore the Kim Stanley Robinson, Andrzej Grubacek, and Howard Zinn references. Sigh. An anarchist prisoner in coma in France. Why you gotta give me the French shit? An anarchist prisoner in coma in France. From Anon. Also in French on Lille.IndieMedia. Here is the bulk of the brief notice. Quote, Our comrade Boris, in prison in Nancy-Maxville since September 2020 for the arson of two relay antennas in the Jura during the lockdown, 
is currently in artificial coma at the burns unit of the Hospital of Metz. The fire would have started around 6.30 a.m. in the cell, where he was placed alone in detention, Saturday 7th of August. The only certainty is that prison is an institutionalized torture system, and that the state, from police to justice to prison, is directly responsible for this situation. May sadness turns into rage against all authority. Unquote. Good luck to Boris and all anarchist prisoners. A Conversation with John Zerzan, a transcription of a conversation between Ishka and Jay-Z, which is also on YouTube, link is included. Topics addressed are violence, gauging success, Kaczynski, the existence of proper conditions for violence, whether hierarchies would reemerge after some total social rupture, and so on. Ishka explains punk post and spells Segway like the trademarked vehicle, so there was at least a little bit of humor. Also, Jay-Z's comment, quote, comparing him to Jesus for Christ's sake, unquote. No laughter among the participants, but we're not constrained by them, thank goodness. Oh, and Jay-Z once again misattributes pro-ITS thoughts to Little Black Cart, and Ishka doesn't know or care enough to refute that, so that's still cool. Moving the fuck on. An immoral fable from Italian insurrectionary site infernourbano.noblogs.org Translated by ACT for Freedom Now. A statement from anarchist prisoner Anna Beniamino, currently in Rebibia prison. Obviously, the writings of anarchist prisoners deserve attention pretty much always, but this is worth reading beyond that, as it draws attention to hypocritical or at least inconsistent behavior from fellow anarchists, but also addressing the relationship between words on paper, words from our mouths, and actions. Quote, In these times of everyday psychopolice, I think we are all, as frequenters of movements and consequently of courtrooms, aware that they are making us pay for our, our ideas and the solidarity between comrades with years and years of stolen life and that often repressive operations move on sounding out more than on facts, the positions expressed in papers and publications on the solidarity expressed in the vivisection of human relations. On this basis, one often attracts attention by weighing up the meaning of each single sentence, each single slogan. But this must happen in a positive sense, a priori, weighing up the meetings in public and in private, not as an afterthought out of fear of a sanction. Otherwise, ethics becomes merchandise on sale, cheap because it is faulty. Unquote. It is somewhat cryptic, which seems entirely appropriate not only for someone in prison, but also for someone who is questioning the relationships reflected and created by writing versus speech. Organizing and fighting without dying from mental health, spelled hell. H-E-L-L-T-H. Very cute. Dot XYZ by Aaron Corbett. Mental health is a site for, quote, radically different views on mental health, unquote. This is an interview with Alice, who is also one of the speakers in the Final Straws episode for this week. So Alice is getting lots of airtime at the moment. Turns out Alice also co-authors IGDs this week in fascism, so that is some useful context. This interview by Aaron Corbett, however, is about madness. It opposes an individual-focused perspective on fixing problems versus a social modality perspective, which one might think is a false dichotomy, but whatever, and goes into supporting people while maintaining good boundaries. The complications of doing that in the face of accusations and the requirement to always believe the accuser are not addressed here. Quote, 
I think we can trust people in crisis to know what they need and also be okay with people not knowing what they need. We have to get comfortable with sitting with people in their pain and interrogate the idea of what it means to be sane. Not all experiences of madness are crises. I might hear voices, talk to myself, or have big uncomfortable energy, and that still doesn't mean I'm in crisis. I get to define crisis for myself. We need to be able to trust each other. I am the most accurate reporter of my experience, unquote. This seems fine in theory, but in practice, very confusing and contradictory. Still required since options are limited. A Moss-like Anarchist Manifesto from Autonomies by Julius Gavroche, who here quotes extensively from Robin Kimmerer's Gathering Moss without adding much, if anything, to her text. Quote, Remember wanting what your brother had just because he had it? At the family dinner table, if everyone wants a drumstick from the Sunday chicken, someone will be disappointed. When two closely related species put the same demands on their environment, with not quite enough to go around, both will end up with less than they need to survive. So, in families, siblings can coexist by developing their own preferences. And if you specialize in white meat or the mashed potatoes, you can avoid competition for the drumsticks. The same specialization has taken place in decranum, moss. By sidestepping competition, numerous species can coexist, each in a habitat that they don't have to share with a sibling species. The moss is equivalent of a room of one's own. Unquote. Kimmerer is not political and has plenty of words to say, so if this introduces her to a wider audience, that's great. But if this encourages people to take Gavroche seriously or to yank stuff from people who actually have something to say, then not so much. Also, the A News image is so much better. Nice one, the collective. Anathema, Volume 7, Issue 5 from anathema.noblogs.org. Discussion of hunger strikes and noise demos as tactics in resistance to prisons. Chile's neoliberalism as a model for it everywhere else in the world. An interview slash report back on the Brooklyn Center riot, eco-defense actions and opportunities, climate changes, an action in Greece, and a progressive city refunding their police. Greening Anarchism from cbmilstein.wordpress.com. Cindy raises the specter of bookchin for no good reason in the interest of saying, can't we all get along to change the world? One could choose to be charmed by Cindy's ongoing performance of naivete, I'm sure in certain light it's cute and appropriate for a new in the shell of the old proponent. The first response in the comments is a thread by Peter Gelderloos that appropriately shifts the framework, among other things, which initiated a better conversation. Good job, Anon. No, it is the children who are wrong. This week's award for best title goes to this article from IGD by some unfortunate folks who are complaining about David Rovix for not standing up to his rhetoric slash values, which, sorry, but who was ever paying attention to him? Since I don't care about either side of this fight, I will just say that the question of what to do when we do care is still open. No interesting insights here, though. Sad trombone. You're not just going to do... Apparently not. The Trial of the Kansk Anarchists from A2Day.net. You hate me. Quote, recall that three 15-year-old anarchists, Nikita Uvarov, Denis... Mikalenko and Bogdan Andreev are accused of undergoing training in order to carry out terrorist activities, as well as in the manufacture and storage of explosives. The persecution of the comrades began 
after they posted leaflets in support of political prisoners, some of which were pasted on the FSB building. Now they themselves face up to 10 years in prison, unquote. A bit more information about how they're being treated badly, no press or public allowed into the courtroom, etc. Shit is fucked up. Demetrius Chatzivasiliadis arrested from Abolition Media Worldwide. Quote, after a telephone communication with the comrade D. Chatzivasiliadis, he is fine. They have not transferred him to Athens. They have still got him in Thessaloniki. Maybe today he will go before a prosecutor. People in solidarity in Thessaloniki need to mobilize and stand in solidarity in the event that they are passed before a prosecutor or investigator there. Dark Knight's note, Dimitris Chatsiva Siliadis has been wanted by the Greek police since 2019, accused of involvement for attacks and robberies involving Organization of Revolutionary Self-Defense, unquote. Good luck to him. Statement for the Week of Solidarity. From Solidarity.International by Thomas Mayer Falk. A pretty brief statement for the Week of Solidarity with Anarchist Prisoners. Talks a little about his own arrest and gives his address. Quote, One of the challenges seems to me to be keeping a vibrant solidarity movement intact over very long periods of time. Because even as more and more states are officially renouncing the death penalty, they are shifting to locking people away for decades at a time. What may seem to some to be an even worse punishment the sheer eternity of being locked away. In order to help people in prison keep hope alive, but also to give those comrades who are actively fighting in front of the walls the certainty that they will never be forgotten, action weeks can be essential means of affirmation. Unquote. Checkmate Anarchists from C4SS by Alex Aragona. The first comment in this thread speaks for me. C4SS continues to demonstrate how people can call themselves anarchists and not only believe things entirely differently from me, but even perhaps entirely differently from themselves. Moving on. Brazil. Only revolt can bring down Bolsonaro. From CrimeThink, who loses a lot of cred for titling with this one. A text that really pushes the similarities between Trump and Bolsonaro and between the U.S. and Brazil and pushing the normal crime think line that democracy won't save us, but coming together in the streets will. Mm-hmm. Audio and video. Combating movement misogyny from the final straw an hour and 18 minutes. No Sean Swain. Four dedicated leftists motivated by a Twitter thread discuss how system-wide issues are replicated inside organizing groups and spaces, including how care providers are undervalued. Interestingly, the two speakers identify as mad people, madness being culturally connected to femininity. One of the better points was one of the speakers acknowledging that there are benefits to, as well as problems with, being under-recognized when doing dangerous work, specifically anti-fascist work. Also potentially useful notes about the dangers of secrecy in relationships, especially as a way to increase the problems with already existing bad power dynamics. The guests propose as the solution to this that there be more rules and more unity, apparently not having had those experiences where people work with the rules and in the name of unity to do bad things. The good work and comrade are used unironically, so trigger warning. They draw a distinction between privacy, good, and secrecy, mostly bad, without much clarity about how they're different. The speakers could have used a little bit more challenging around what it means to protect against future harm, when what harms people is actually pretty fucking complicated, but supportive hosts were fully in effect. A host does bring up problems with accountability processes somewhere around 15 minutes in, and the second guest has much more interesting responses. Terms defined, world building, 
and 13th Stepping, for those who don't know 12-step lingo. Anal Terror <laughs> from Immediatism.com. A perhaps unfortunately timed release of nine episodes of the readings from an article. From an article called Anal Terror by Beatrice Preciado, published in Baden 3. The titles are one, intro, two, Oedipus and anal castration, three, terrorist texts. I think you need to read four, this article. Four, anal politics, five, the anal method, six, identity politics and normalization. Seven, anal educastration, infancy, masturbation, and writing. Eight, girl, lesbian, total anus, and nine, anal utopia. There is a lot here for all of us, probably more for those who won't ever check it out, unfortunately. Free Sean Swain from Submedia, a one-minute video of Sean talking about being inside for 30 years, getting a parole hearing about once every 10 years, being ready to get the fuck out and getting married in August. By the time you hear this podcast, his hearing will have happened. Fingers crossed so hard. Topic of the week. Trash and then fails. There are less controversial, piquant, and risque topics that are nevertheless urgent and vital. For example, what to do with trash? Landfills are a big problem. They're quickly closing down, full to the brim with trash. You might live near a landfill that's about to close, leaving you and your neighbors to drown in your own trash. Merely living near a landfill is harmful to your health. Imagine living inside of one. Many people don't have to imagine. In fact, they will never know another life. The narrative of early modernity was of urbanization as a sign of progress, hand in hand with slum clearance. Astounded projections declaring, by this or that date, more than half of the world's population will be living in cities. By now, it's a safe bet to say that soon most of the world's population will be living in a landfill of one sort or another, hand in hand with the growth of slums. Out of the pernicious consequences that emerge from human activity, climate change and extreme weather events capture the imagination, while the more commonplace tragedy of trash everywhere gets considerably less attention. Imagine the current menacing horizon of hills ablaze due to forest fires, soon giving way to a horizon of burning mountains of trash. How much worse will the stench be when instead of burnt trees, it's burnt trash that fills the air. Imagine the floods of wastewater that will become the new normal once sewage is the main content of rivers and all bodies of water. Imagine the flooding of sewage and fire, a landscape of literal shitstorms and dumpster fires. Anti-safe writing often focuses on extractivism, stopping extraction as the source and starting point of all industrial activity. But what about the other end? How to dispose of all the shit that's already made? If we can't manage all this waste, how can we each handle or cope with our failure to manage all this waste? We've seen activism to stop the construction of pipelines with the slogan, Water is Life, referring to the importance of protecting water from oil spills. Meanwhile, the landfills everyone takes for granted seep and pollute the groundwater around them across an area that is many times larger than the footprint of the Tarash Mountain which in some cases can be taller than high-rises, tall enough to require air traffic lights. 
We've seen the blockades to stop logging operations, but how do you blockade the production of trash when every household is a source? The factories make all the products that will inevitably become trash, but then the responsibility is passed on to the consumer, who passes it on to the waste management company, leaving the management of nuclear waste aside, proper management of landfills, which contain comparatively less potent toxic waste, is still a gargantuan endeavor. Few can imagine their proper management by states and corporations. Can we imagine their proper management without them? Which cycling is a neologism, much like greenwashing, points to the lie that green or environmentally friendly technological fixes will solve the problem of pollution. It turns out that recycling is not a magical alchemy that turns waste into a resource, but instead is a resource-intensive industrial process that pollutes in order to produce a product that would still end up in the landfill, along with all the batteries, solar panels, and wind turbines from alternative energy solutions. Clearly, a real solution would require a holistic approach that addresses attitudes, habits, lifestyles, worldviews, and culture more broadly. Discord Studies is a new interdisciplinary field that, in that investigates dynamics and consequences of waste broadly defined. What could anarchists contribute to this field? Anarchists often say that they're not afraid of ruins, but are they afraid of trash? Could you really live like a literal trash panda? Sure. Tell us about dumpster diving and DIY reusing of trash, but tell us about what to do about landfills first. Then tell us about what to do with other wastes, like sewage. Sure, take what you need and compost the rest. Compost is great to deal with food scraps and excretion, but most trash can't be composted. What do you do with your trash? What are creative anarchist solutions to this problem? Greetings, pestilent effluvia, industrial products and byproducts, floating turds that pollute the river, or the comment section rather. This time around we're gonna do it a bit differently. So usually the topics of the week are kept short so that people can read them. But this time around, it was uh, my turn and I decided to write a really long one uh, to dissuade uh, as many people from reading the whole of it and at the same time uh, to make it unfeasible to be read uh, during the topic of the week segment. But I read it anyways and the reason I chose this topic was not so much as a failed jab or response to the trash that can be uh, the comment section from time to time but you know this topic is not so much something uh, hypothetical but okay so this is something that's happening near where I live I am not monitoring the situation so closely but recently there was a landfill that was closed that it was near but it's not the one that gives me service and now there's either news to close really soon or has closed a few weeks ago one of the landfills that gives service to here so yeah i'm just speculating about the consequences because some of the consequences that are already affecting some of the people from the other landfill are already uh, showing their face. I've also seen how during um, natural disasters uh, there's a lot of trash that is produced from debris. Debris from uh, houses that are either flooded or whether they burn or collapse due to earthquakes. All these events uh, generate a lot of trash and they usually reduce the lifespan of landfills by two or three years in just uh, one event. 
uh, due to the magnitude of uh, trash that is uh, generated. And since these uh, types of events are going to become more frequent, uh, particularly storms and wildfires, there's going to be a lot more trash generated. So this is a topic that uh, it's not just that it was already relevant, but it's going to become increasingly relevant. Of course, uh, in the past week, there was a lot of talk about that big uh, 3000 page report about climate change. And, and similarly, there's various reports from the EPA about landfills that no one reads. And uh, someone reads them. The general gist is a uh, vague panic but not much unclear ideas about what to do. Much like thesis and uh, academic papers. And here I mentioned something that uh, just came up when I was uh, looking for some things when I wrote this, uh, the term discord studies, the term wish cycling. And you know, they'll keep coming up with buzzwords and with ways to make this into an academic game where the academics give recommendations that are not in any way applied and at the same time they merely serve as a justification for all that's ongoing in one way or another. I'm listening to Vapor, Manipool, to put myself in a chill mood and to drown out the background noise while I read some of your comments and respond to them in no particular order, just uh, one that tickle my fancy. So first, here's a comment titled Trash. I was just reading it, but uh, it doesn't flow as well to read it. So I'll just summarize it. Basically, this person says that they worked as a retired garbage hauler and says some details that aren't specific, but some of them neither here nor there. But the most salient points uh, were the ones that uh, some other commenters uh, responded to, contesting the, the degree to which we should feel comforted by the EPA regulations of said landfills. So while I'm reading the comments, I'm going to be listening to an assorted playlist of Vaporwave because, you know, what better to listen to while reading about trash? Vaporwave is trash music made from recycled... Uh, trash music from the 80s so I can drown out my horrible voice from my ears by listening to music that is much worse um, so I'm gonna read the comments in a funny voice and I'm going to respond the comments in uh, John Sersen's voice okay so this comment says you gotta laugh or die by perp and it has uh, an amount of zeros that I'm not gonna count it says you gotta live or die Biodegradability and biology reduction are the main issues to be addressed so that the inevitable waste that living produces is minimized. Ideally, a reduction in population we will make for less waste. I have seen some building blocks and railway sleepers sized plastical timber products out there. Also, I messed around with an auto hydraulic jack and a steel can and compressed a bin full of plastic bags, bottles, wrappers, and packaging to 5% of its volume. It's about being mindful and creative. If I needed to, I could build a cabin out of compressed plastic logs. How about a giant recycled plastic igloos and wigwams placed on every bacon block? Or a piece of rejuvenated wasteland? Or... <sighs> okay, I got exhausted about uh, reading the comments like this, so now I'm going to respond. Oh boy, that's uh, that sure is something. Uh, 
Okay, so yeah, that's a response to that comment. So this comment, uh, I'm gonna have to read with a different voice because that other voice was a bit tiring. The primary approach, in my personal opinion, will be to dramatically reduce consumption, especially of non-essential goods created industrially. Reduced population, as mentioned above, will help substantially. Changing the way products are packaged could be another huge win. Related to that would be to reduce eliminate long-distance shipping of products. Shipping and other logistics often drive the requirements for packaging, aside from theft prevention. Mushrooms not necessarily psychedelic. Years ago, some dude did an experiment where he cultivated mushrooms on top of huge trash dump heaps. In some relatively short time frame, those heaps were bringing with life. Shrooms have serious cleaning and filtering attributes. Best option of all, lift civilization and mass society to the dustbin of history. Oh boy, that sure is something. Okay, now so yeah. Responding in tandem to this comment and the other one, seriously now? Yeah, I mean, these recommendations are nothing new. Um, anyone could just sit down and pen them out, but somehow, you know, it's not getting done. So maybe that's why this topic is not so interesting to people, because it's pretty clear and non-controversial what should be done, but what is what should be done is not what is being done. And of course, those that get irritated by the word should um, go fuck yourselves. That's the word I'm going to use right now. And um, about the mushrooms, uh, the commenter says some dude, I think the dude's last name is Stamets, Stamets, whatever, mushroom guy. Um, yeah, I mean, apparently you could do some land restoration with mushrooms, but who's doing it? Who's putting the mushrooms in the ware? Uh, who's doing it? Are you doing it? Am I doing it? Okay, let's go. Okay, so um, forgive me if I don't read the whole comments. It's just uh, gonna go through a couple of them. So to get fast, I might summarize them. For example, here we have a comment from Favnoir. The title of the comment says, Can't get enough of, this, of these shootisms. Um, speaking of shoot. So it says here, very liberal, bro. At a mass scale, this can hardly be achieved by anyone. And it says later on that it has to do with uh, people's daily life, how it's uh, miserable and how it doesn't have meaning. And I think there's something to that, especially when people are really occupied with other aspects of their employment or other things that are not you know, the material things that make them live. So if everyone had to deal with their own waste management, they would certainly be more careful about it if no one else was there to handle it for them. Then there's another commenter here in reply that says that uh, only a powerful state could handle the mass problems. And obviously we can contest that pretty easily because uh, we know all these states uh, were the ones responsible for the creation and mismanagement of uh, nuclear waste products and a lot of uh, military products that are highly polluting as well. And uh, you can cue the Chernobyl, uh, the Chernobyl critical meltdown uh, scene and play that on repeat. So let's see what else we have here. We have someone here 
mentioning Elon Musk and uh, I don't know what else. It's kind of interesting, all these new rays to space, kind of like uh, using this planet as uh, another discardable product, another, you know, as if Earth is just a packaging to our little, whatever, disposable planets. Okay, so we have someone here, a comment uh, by someone who named themselves King Buzzo. They say something about uh, different countries selling their trash to China. Nah, uh, it turns out they're just... Uh, Incinerator plant chill. We have a couple, a couple of those in the comments. A couple of chills. They got nothing else to do but comments on uh, new sites. Maybe they're grassroots chills that uh, do so as a hobby, out of their uh, sincere appreciation for landfills and incinerators. So, so here someone put um, graveyards or landfills, and it's funny that they mentioned that because. As I was mentioning about the natural disasters, these disasters also produce quite the death count. And when, when these people are buried en masse, uh, much like with these uh, the COVID deaths in many cities that uh, were buried in mass graves, you know, this is a huge landfill that has um, some repercussions in, uh, you know, the usage of space for that. And well, sometimes uh, the disasters also exhume corpses like for example if a river floods and there's a graveyard near the river that erodes the the land and then you have corpses uh, running down the river that kind of happened here but uh, not to a great extent they're taking measures to to ameliorate that problem and also you know when you don't have electricity to put the corpses in a freezer while they do the autopsies and all that it can create problems so yeah the way to dispose of corpses is also uh, an interesting problem to tackle. Here, I don't know if incineration is the the better way to go about it, while um, other trash maybe it's not so good to incinerate. But I mean, bodies are generally more biodegradable than other junk as long as you don't pump them with chemicals, but a whole lot of bodies at the same time might not be the best idea. I'm not gonna improvise a solution to this right now, but it's certainly an aspect to consider. Okay, so this comment is in response to the long comment titled Trash by Philip E. Livernois. And it says, hello, Philip E. whatever, non-retired longtime garbage recycler here. Number one, yes, they can be easily sabotaged. So the business using them will see conventional conventional waste or compost bins as cheaper alternatives, at least for a while. Also, conventional waste bins also send all the crap to the landfills. Duh. The goal of doing this is to allow for dumpster divers to help with waste reduction, which is one of the more external benefits of dumpster diving. Okay, so this one is... Uh, this number reply is directed to the comment that they said that garbage contractors are something nice to use and this person is saying that they're often sabotaged you know i, I really i rarely see garbage contractors around here but i have seen them i wonder why that is number two epa qualifications are irrelevant in a world where corporations are more powerful and wealthy than your government believe in santa that's fine but i don't see at least 2007 sleep well kid okay so this person uh, either 
stop believing in state and government since 2007 or stop believing in Santa since 2007, which would make them either really gullible or really young, but still calls this person a kid by saying slickball kid. You know, these are the types of questions that keep me awake at night, so we'll never know. So, continuing to read the comment, number three, it says, Being in Canada, I can testify that the U.S. is using the border as extra EPA regulations loophole in uh, for dumping toxic waste from their landfills in cross-border lakes and rivers. Provincial and federal governments don't seem to give a fuck about the matter as it's more important to them to keep humans from crossing the border as well as some black market goodies. This is in addition to the critic to the critique of the other commenter, of course. There's for instance a well-known issue like this in Lake Masawaipi and Lake Memphremagog. That's a nice name for a doom metal band. Memphremagog. That's nice. Okay, so where massive landfills near the U.S.-Quebec border have been contaminating these lakes and the rivers for years, if not decades. Always fun to come across status salads on this side. Lol, gotta love the input. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, what was the name? Oh, this is just an anon. Yeah, the salads on this side. I mean, yeah, I've heard many stories from mainland U.S. where they've gone to lakes that has that have stashes of weird barrels where one can only guess what type of waste is uh, within them and uh, it really makes you hesitate before diving in some random lake in mainland US or even in Canada especially if they're near a landfill I mean when it comes to landfills every little mile that you can get between you and the landfill counts that's the real luxury right there so i mean maybe that's why these billionaires are aiming for space they want to get as far away from the landfill as possible or maybe they're just trying to keep the illusion alive that there is a way to get out and there's really no way out and they're digging themselves into the bunkers so yeah someone else here replies to that comment confirming that uh, Lake Memphramagog is polluted as fuck and that the route to there is also polluted as fuck. These details are interesting, you can read them in the comments if you wish. Okay, on to our next comment. It says here, this one's written by Mechanic, it says, Today's landfill are tomorrow's mines. As far back as 1970, there were landfills in New York with more copper by percentage of weight in them than the copper mines being worked for profit that same year. Either future people or possibly a successor species will no doubt mine these shallow and easily accessible deposits. Once a few centuries have passed for the garbage to rot, it will be a lot easier to handle. Exhaustion of mineral deposits is thus less of a problem than expected, although alloying elements, for example, molly, might be blah blah blah. Okay, so here we're talking about the problem of managing waste, and this person is speculating about the future, you could say, profit that you can make out of landfills. Okay, so 
I don't know, like speculating about the usefulness of landfills to future generations is kind of like missing the point, really. The whole point of the topic was to think about what to do with the landfill that's potentially right next to you being a nuisance or what to do with the nuisance of the trash all around you once there's not a landfill to put the trash in. And then someone replied to that comment mocking it. So, you know, we're all living in the, in the trash dump, in the dumpster. I am going to end by, by leaving you with a, the sage words of John Serson. Uh, spring is just around the corner. Oh boy, that sure is something. Take care. This week's podcast was sound edited by Greg. The What's New was written by Chisel and read by Chisel and a friend. Anal terror. So we hope this podcast was useful to and fun for anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Give us <laughs> feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. 